Hey there, Angel Donovan here with Dating Skills Podcast. Today we're talking about relationships, making them sustainable, making them last long. Once you get into a relationship, you really want a great relationship, not the kind of caricature relationship that dies after a few years. And as we all know, the divorce rate's crazy uh, these days and a lot of relationships don't last. So how do we make a relationship continue the way that it started? A really great, sustainable relationship. So today on the show, we have someone who's basically doing that. We have Scott McKay from X and Y Communications. He's been married to Emily McKay for eight years now, and they have kids and so on, and a great family, and they're extremely happy together. The thing about Scott is that he's been a dating coach much longer than he's been married, and he continues to be a dating coach, even though he's married and teach guys about how to meet women and so on. But obviously, his experience in his own life is going to affect that. And it's obviously a strength in his life. He has a great relationship with a woman that he's married to. And that isn't the most typical thing for a lot of the dating coaches, whether it's because of age or because of what they're interested in, the kind of lifestyle they're interested in. So I asked Scott to come onto the show to talk about his experience and what he's learned, because that really is his strength. To get the show notes and all the usual stuff, MP3 download, interview transcript, go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash podcast and click on this episode to get everything there to get the show notes automatically in your email inbox every time we put out a new episode so you don't have to think about it go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash newsletter and put your email in there and then you're done now let's get into today's interview i'm angel donovan and this is the dating skills podcast this is a 14-year ongoing mission to discover the truth about what works in dating, sex, and relationships, to become a better man. Join me as I leave no stone unturned. Chase down every expert, role model, and mentor with insights to get us to that goal as fast as possible. This show is about bringing you the best of that information so that you can take it in and change your life for the better, step-by-step, episode-by-episode. Hey, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, man, it's my pleasure. Great, Ready great. To go. We've actually done this before, but we lost a copy of it many years ago. So uh, we're not going to do that this time because hey, I man. remember we had a great chat before and it's a pity yeah. that didn't get out to the world. So let's set a bit of context here. How old are you and what kind of relationship are you in today? Well, uh, I'm 48 years old and uh, people generally think I'm, sometimes people think I'm younger than that, but wherever to go to like a big mastermind meeting where all the dating coaches and pickup artists kind of hang out and share what they're doing in their businesses and whatever, you would find that I'm basically everybody's big brother. I'm like the Yoda. I'm like dad. And the weird thing is I'm not the oldest guy. I mean, there's several guys doing this who are quite a bit older than I am, actually quite a number of them. But I think a lot of those guys are still out there kind of acting like 20-somethings. So I, I still get kind of cast into the dad, big brother role. <laughs> if you guys know Dave M. from Insider Internet Dating, he calls me Papa Bear. Uh-huh. That's his code name for me. Yeah, It could also have something to do with the fact that I'm happily married to a wonderful woman who I call my proof of concept, and that's Emily. And uh, between us, we have four children. Kind of like a twisted sideways Brady Bunch thing where very nice. Is that two boys, two girls or yeah, two boys, two girls. And Excellent. she had a son, I had a daughter. And uh-huh. perhaps amazingly, the two older ones, unrelated, look like each other and they get along amazingly well. Hmm. Really weird. I mean, it's just strange. 
And they both have very unique personalities and they get along with each other. They're very similar. So um, then she and I popped out two more kids, two beautiful, gorgeous kids, because I have a beautiful, gorgeous wife. As an aside, guys, hey, that is really another really good reason to have a beautiful wife is because your kids come out so damn cute. I mean, it just it works out really well. If you've been hit with an ugly stick, it's amazing how a beautiful wife sort of just neutralizes that. They're having cute kids anyway. I mean, you can look around and see the evidence of this. It's amazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we have a little son who's chip off the old block. He's uh, John Scott Jr., and he's seven. And he's basically owning it in elementary school to the point where we have disciplinary problems. So That's fine. I had disciplinary problems when I was a kid. I'm sure you did too. Yeah, well, I don't want him to grow up to be a little sheeple who follows directions. I mean, they go to school and the teacher's like, okay, today we're going to have leadership training. Okay, what does leadership mean, he says. Well, leadership means following directions and uh, showing your other classmates that you know how to follow. Mm -hmm. And my son will blurt out things like, that doesn't sound like leadership. That sounds like following. <laughs> and the teacher will go, kid, will you just be quiet and listen to me? No, because that would be following too. I want to lead. Then he gets sent to the office. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a problem. That sounds like independent thinking. You can see his future is going to light up. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I keep trying to say to the vice principal and the principal, this kid is doing everything that indicates he's just going to be an incredible badass when he's an adult. And they'll be like, please don't say badass in my office. I, go, <laughs> I think I know where I stand. Um, anyway, my daughter is three and she is precious and adorable and living proof that when guys first of all, think it is just this fearsome life-ending tragedy to even become a father. Then they start thinking, well, at least if I'm a father, give me a son. You know, may your first child be a masculine child kind of thing. I tell you what, having a daughter is just so amazing. They love you unconditionally. They adore the fact that you're male. They remind you of the things you're supposed to be doing to man up even more than your own wife might. Hmm. They brighten your day. They're just incredible. Having a daughter is the most surprisingly, amazingly awesome experience for me. And, you know, I had several guys who were kind of like Yodas or big brothers to me tell me that when my first daughter was in the making, you know, she's now 15. That's an interesting age. And, uh, <laughs> and she still adores me. She still gives me a big hug and thinks I'm her hero. So all this idea about, you know, your kids grow up and rebel and they hate you. I don't know. It might be something you've done wrong. You know? <laughs> I did something wrong to make her still like me. Exactly. No, no, no. I mean, other the rest of the world who doesn't have that positive relationship in the teams, it might be they did something wrong. This psychological stuff is tricky. It is. You can think you're doing a good job and you can be doing the opposite sometimes. So. And I've seen wonderful parents have really amazingly evil children. And I've seen people who really screwed up as adults have their kids come out amazing. However, there usually is a pattern. And I think in our case, it was a matter of loving the kids supporting them through what they're wanting to do, not forcing them to do things they don't want to do. Like, I want my kid to play baseball, so damn it, he's a glove, here's a you know, bat, we're going to go play baseball when the kid wants to do something else. Right. And uh, not being their friend, not being their buddy, because you lose respect that way, but also not flipping out and freaking out and having a thin skin when something bad happens. Being a forgiver as you're a leader. I think all that's so important. But, you know, man, we have four of them crawling this house now. So we got a little bit of experience. <laughs> that's excellent. So how long have you been married now? Uh, we just had eight years and we've known each other nine. And uh, I do it all over again. The seven-year itch thing, I don't understand what that would have been. I uh, still adore this woman. She still turns me on. 
And everything you've ever heard from like David D'Angelo all the way back through double your dating and all that stuff and about never stop doing what you did to turn her on to begin with. God, that's so true. Man, guys sit there and they get kind of complacent and they turn into little wusses and then they don't want to do anything around the house and they sit around and get lazy and just keep being the man you were who turned her on the day you met her and you just don't have to worry about anything. It'll go fine from there. She'll still think you're great and she'll still want to keep herself up for you and she still want to please you and impress you and be fun for you all because you're still leading as a man. Yeah. It's brilliant. This is an interesting topic because when we're coaching guys, we have an academy now. When we're coaching guys, there's some of this stuff about building yourself. We always want to have them working on because it takes a long time, but they often don't see the value of it because it's not a pickup line. It's not like a result in the next week. It's going to take time. It's something I find it hard to get guys motivated about. Although in the long term, as you're saying, it's the really, really essential bit. So have you got ideas just on that? Because I know you cover these kind of topics. I do want to talk about relationships and stuff with you because you've obviously got a pretty cool relationship and I know you talk about that as well. But seeing as it's come up, I think it's a tricky subject. How do we get guys motivated about this longer term stuff, which you can't really see the end result coming down the next week or the next month, but it's really, really essential. First of all, you're dead on, bang on accurate about the whole idea of becoming more attractive to women, becoming a better man. Guys come and work with me and it's all about getting more women. Then they wake up and they're promoted at work or they get a new job or they're more respected on their softball team or whatever it is because they're just a more evolved man, what I would call a big four man, more personal confidence, more masculinity in the way women define it. In other words, what turns women on, not what's macho. Having character, doing what you say you're going to do, and also being the kind of man who can make other people feel safe and comfortable in his presence. You feel like a protecting power influence whenever you're in a group of people. Another thing I teach guys that's actually, the more I think about it lately, the more revolutionary it is, is to be warm. You know, warmth draws and coldness repels. And uh, guys think when they're being warm, they're being cheesy or Mr. Nice Guy or being perhaps even feminine. But you can be a strong, masculine, courageous, goal-centered guy with a plan and have a warm, welcoming, smile-with-your-eyes demeanor and help people feel really good about themselves. And that just makes life so much better. Those are a lot of the things we teach. And, and what I tell guys, hey, look, this may seem like this big, huge, long road, because I'll tell you straight up, Angel, I don't teach at all anything like, here are three magic words that make women spread their legs. I won't do it. I don't think it's ethical. Let's talk about that quickly, because we have people from all sorts of different backgrounds on this show. That's what we do. We just want to find people with ideas from no matter the background, no matter if it makes people uncomfortable because it's from some extreme lifestyle or place or whatever. If they've got ideas and they're helpful, I think it's all interesting. So where do you position? Well, yeah, and there's different schools of thought on that for sure. I mean, there's people who say, hey, look, that's what sells. People are buying the programs to say, here are three sentences you say, and women just will love you forever and leave their husbands. But all I'm saying is, I don't believe that it's ethical to tell people here, you do this and you just have completely different success. We tell people that it is going to be a road. It is going to be some time that it takes to get to where you're going to be. But it, A, first of all, you know, to get to your main question here, it doesn't have to take as much time as you think. Some guys go, oh God, this is going to take forever and I just can't do it. Well, the breakthrough may be a lot closer than you think. Second, and perhaps more importantly, Whenever you're on this journey to becoming great from being mediocre or whatever you want to call it, going from good to great, 
even though it looks intimidating, there are these small successes you achieve on along the way. You don't just hammer and hammer and hammer in obscurity until one day, bam, it's like hitting the lottery and all of a sudden you're great. It happens like one day to the next. You're improving as you go along. And the small successes that you celebrate between now and where you ultimately want to be are each a lot of fun. You'll go from being completely dateless to having some girl interested in you. Yeah, she's not the woman you'd love to have, but hey, you know what? This is great. I love having a woman who's interested. And then you raise the bar and you raise the bar some more. Then you're dating four women at once and you're doing things you didn't even know were possible. And you're going further along. And every time there's a milestone reached, even a small, tiny one, you celebrate it. Exactly. And I think that's the secret between guys who fail, even in business. Well, yeah, you're mirroring my thoughts for business. It's exactly the same path. And I think that's why it goes back to this conversation of it's becoming a man. Because life, going through life, experiencing life, overcoming challenges, this is what builds you into what you are. So you see straight away the guys who have been taking challenges, been doing stuff in their life, just getting out there, doing mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. It doesn't really know, matter what it is, as long as you've been going for what you're interested in and going after it, that starts to change you just on its own. So that's the kind of stuff I like to see guys doing. If Just finding out what their passion is and starting to do something about it, I think is something they should always have going on in the background. While they're learning, obviously, how dating relationships works, what a good approach is, what a bad approach is, all, all this kind of stuff, which is going to help you get the smaller results you're talking about. And which I think celebrating, we were talking about motivation, it's celebrating those little things. Even if she's not the 10, I think half of the problem is guys get this idea they want a 10 today. And then anything else they have, even if it's like way better than where they were before, they're not going to congratulate themselves. And they're going to actually kind of diss themselves. And that's going to keep them down. It's going to keep them less motivated and they're just not going to make keep moving forward. Yeah. And their idea of a 10 may be different than the rest of the world's idea of a 10 anyway. So they go chasing what they think is going to make them look good in terms of a woman. And then they get that woman and go, God, I can't stand this chick. And then they get rid of her and find a woman who turns them on and who they like much better. And maybe they have a certain type of woman and some of their buddies are going out. Yeah, well, I'm glad you think she's great and all, but whatever. And that's just what makes the world go around. So even then, the ability to get like a supermodel into your life and then kick her out of your life is like one of those high-level steps getting to where you eventually want to be. Yeah. It's hard to skip that step, um, I think, I think for <laughs> most guys. No, because you're right. It's these expectations, these ideas that are upon us. But I think in a sense, it's very hard to even listen to podcasts and have guys like us who've done it just saying, oh, you, you don't need to go for that step if it's not for you. But I think in a sense, you, you kind of have to do a lot of these things anyway. There's not most guys, it's just something you've got to go through to come to the end conclusion that you just want to follow what's really in your interest. I'll tell you what, man. I remember the first time someone I'd never heard of bought my first book, Deserve What <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. It, to this day, it was one of the most euphoric moments in my entire career, dying your career as a dating coach. Nowadays, you know, that happens at least every day, you know, hopefully more than once. But and there's more products and people are paying me to coach them. And I become a lot more used to that little bit of success. But man, the first time someone actually paid me money for my book was huge, massively fun. And that was, of course, a small step. I couldn't give my boss the middle finger and quit my job because somebody paid $27 for my book. But boy, it sure felt yeah. good. And that's the most memorable thing. And if we take it back to women, if I remember maybe the first time I walked up to a girl during the day and I was all scared about it and she smiled at me, responded well, and I took her number, that was a huge deal for me. Oh, yes. You know? Oh, yeah. That was more important than a lot of the stuff that happened afterwards because that 
that was a game-changing moment. That's a game-changing moment when your ideas about what you're doing changes. Yeah, they've interviewed guys who are young, multi-hundred millionaires and billionaires, like the guys who get rich from internets and stuff like that. And these guys will be like, yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I had this picture of a Mustang GT on my wall and it was, God, if I could just drive a Mustang GT, I'd be such a boss. And now that I've got like a collection of Audi R8s and Lamborghinis and I get pissed off because I can't just go get the new Ferrari that I'm on a waiting list for. It's like (laughs) becoming a heroin addict. It's like the drug. You need a bigger drug to give you the same thrill. And sometimes when you become super wealthy, you get to the point where that drug is really hard to get. It used to be nice just to get away for the weekend and go to the Jersey Shore. Now you have to get your private plane fueled up and go to the Maldives to get that thrill. And you've been there 10 times and it's it's kind of like a poor little rich kid story, but it was fascinating to read that interview with those guys and, and have them talk about how harder it is to scratch that itch now that they've gotten so far up the food chain in terms of how much money they have. And I think it's a lot like that. I think when you haven't experienced a whole lot of thrill at all, those little thrills are really meaningful. When you get to a point where it's just really easy to get thrilled, the whole idea of thrill kind of gets knocked down a few notches. If I may, one of the things that guys who are sort of at the beginning stages of improving their skills with women really don't like hearing is something like, hey, you know, the whole idea of this really beautiful woman having any guy she wants and being able to reject any guy she wants and how are you going to get past her defenses and whatever, that's really not gender specific. You can have that kind of power with women also, where a lot of women find you really amazing and want to be with you. And you're sort of having to give the just be friends to talk to lots of women and guys go, you got to be freaking kidding me. Beautiful women have all the control, but really whoever has options, whoever has ascended to the point of being really attractive has the control. Whoever has options has control. And Yet, because of the nature of male leadership, a lot of times very young girls who are very cute get very used to, accustomed to, I may say, having a lot of male attention very early so that the whole idea of things like going out on dates, getting a boyfriend, uh, the availability of sexual opportunity is like a non-issue. It's just another part of life. And guys get so mad when they realize that. It's like, oh my God, if I could just get laid, it would be like too good to be true. Well, that's because your experience is different. If I say to one of those guys who has been blessed enough to live in the Western world, like, look, if you went to Burger King and got yourself a Whopper for lunch, how would you feel about that? Well, I'd do that every day. Well, exactly. But if you go to South Sudan and throw a Whopper in the middle of the street, there may be a dog pile of people killing each other for it. It's all a matter of your experience, what you're used to, and how far you've raised the bar. So for most Western guys, yeah, we can walk into a Burger King or an In-N-Out Burger and grab lunch and pay $6 for it, and that's normal. Whereas somebody who's never had anything like that, like you go to a guy in India who makes $1.40 a day and hand him a number six platter from Whataburger here in Texas, and he's going to go, oh my God, this is the greatest day of my life. It's all a matter of your experience. And those little successes in the context of what we do, whether it's business, even family life, or, or traveling, or getting good at one of your hobbies, or knocking things off your bucket list in general. All those little successes make life a lot more fun than just saying, okay, my goal is to be a 10 millionaire. Most guys who come in with a goal of my goal is to be a 10 millionaire never get there because they don't set those smaller goals. Every guy I've ever known who's picked up a guitar and said, I want to be a rock star. 
and I want to play the solo from Freebird, ends up saying, man, this really makes your fingers on your left hand hurt. Maybe this isn't for me and throws the guitar in the corner like two hours later. It's just funny how the human mind works like that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. That's why it's important to point out that you should be celebrating these little steps and to make it clear that it's not so far away. I wanted to talk a little bit about how to make relationships work with you because you've obviously got this long relationship and a lot of experience there. So I think one of the things that we haven't really talked about on this podcast yet is how to make relationships work over the long term. And even if you should do, because there's a lot of guys listening who've probably had one relationship at some time or another that didn't work out. And they're still not clear on why that was, or maybe there were some things that they could have handled differently. So in terms of the biggest challenges in making a relationship work, what would be your vision of that? What are the top three or whatever? Well, the top three challenges of making a relationship work. First of all, choosing the wrong person to get in a relationship with, which is pandemic. (laughs) I I have a guy who comes from a culture where you can theoretically get an arranged marriage. His problem right now is he's having a hard time keeping women attracted to him after a couple of days, which says to me, because he, anytime a guy comes to me with a clear pattern, it's, guess what? You have control over it. You can change it. It's you, not all these women. It's not like all these women don't like me after two dates. You're doing something. That's great news, by the way. And so he's saying, yeah, you know, I'm thinking maybe I'm just going to let my parents arrange a marriage for me and just so I can find a woman. Like what? So she can become unattracted to you after she spent two hours with you, but she's stuck with you. I mean, is that going to make your life better? Is that going to be a happy ending? You got to deal with the root cause. Why aren't you attracting the women you want to attract? And I believe most guys can. If they do what it takes to recover their natural birthright of being a masculine man who attracts women, it's what we're born to do. So that's first one is settling settling for the wrong woman or getting into a relationship with a woman who isn't ready to be one half of a great relationship anyway. And that's a whole nother conversation, but let's just throw them all under the heading of poisonous crazy chicks. Okay. The second one I think is understanding the importance of sexual polarity. I mean, you're in a situation nowadays where people second wave feminists are trying to, to soften men up even as they harden themselves and go do the heavy lifting at jobs and stuff like that. And there's sort of this movement afoot that trivializes sexual polarity, like masculinity and femininity are mythical, whereas they may be mysterious, but they're far from mythical. They're the building blocks of sexual attraction. Every time I get guys who are, say, wanting to get better at online dating, hey, send me seven or eight women who you just think are incredibly hot in your metro area. Every time, every single time without exception, they send me these girly girls, skirts with their fingernails painted and long, pretty hair and... Farrah Fawcett major smiles and they don't send me these frumpy butchy chicks with, with crew cuts and in sweatpants. They send me women like girls. And a lot of times I think guys get neutered when they get in a relationship, they go, all right, well, I'm not going to have to slay any dragons. I'm not going to have to kill a mammoth for dinner. So I'm just going to sit around and do nothing and get soft and, and go the easy route. And the woman starts nagging at them. And anytime you have a woman who never used to nag, who starts nagging, that means you're not manning up. By the way, you can file that away. You have to go through the file cards and go, okay, am I making bad decisions? Am I not being courageous? Am I no longer a man with a plan? Am I without ambition here? Am I not making her feel safe and comfortable? All those things, you have to run through those file cards. Because if you're getting nagged and the relationship's going south, there's a masculinity, femininity issue. And 
If you're not attracting each other sexually, just be roommates and stop trying to make this into a relationship. Okay, so that's second. The third is failing to recognize that bold leadership is the absolute number one indicator of successful relationship between men and women. And second place, probably, well, I mean, up there also is character, but let's assume that there's character, just like you would assume there's sunlight in order for photosynthesis to take place in the biological world. Let's assume everybody here is good people. We're all men and women of character. Bold leadership is what's going to take that relationship and make it survive. You're making good decisions. You're making decisions that are in the best interest of the people in your family. You're not being a dumbass. You're not spending the last $600 the family has on golf clubs instead of food. You're not staying out all night and not calling anybody and telling people where you are. You're being consistent. You're being a perimeter defender, like they would say in the NBA. <laughs> That's what I like to call it. And a lot of guys are like, well, you know, I'm not going to take a bullet for this chick. Let her go get her own job so she can contribute to the grocery bill. Well, whatever you two decide in that regard is fine. But I'll tell you what, I don't care how strong, how powerful a woman she is. If you put her in the passenger seat of your car and say, where do you want to go on a date? She's going to be disgusted with you. You've got to be a leader. Leadership turns women on. And I have yet to meet any woman, even regardless of what she'll tell you with her words, who doesn't follow male leadership and like doing it. As long as that male leadership is benevolent, it's in her best interest. So those are my top three. Great, great. Thanks for that. I really like the last one. I think we should explore that one a bit more to uh, help guys visualize it a bit better because leadership's a huge topic. As you know, in the business world, everywhere, you know, it's like a huge thing. And in terms of practical things that will actually help people see what that is, what does leadership look like on a day to day in a relationship? Like tiny little examples of what happens in a day to day basis. Well, I tell you what, I could give little tiny examples, but I don't want to orphan everybody. Let me give you one big example, and we'll talk about the little examples that come behind it. I have an analogy that started, I've realized works really well. Think of a nest, okay? And mama bird and papa bird, and there's some eggs and some babies in the nest. I think the man's job as a leader is outside the nest. That's what I mean by a perimeter defender. Go get the food. Make sure an eagle doesn't swoop on the nest. Do a good job making sure keep predators away. It's not that women don't lead. It's that women are either in lover mode or they're in mommy mode. And they can't do both. She can't mother you and she can't be your lover. Like if you ever gone to Hooters or somewhere where they have hot waitresses, sometimes the waitress will be flirtatious with the guys if that male-female polarity is going on. Other times you can go to a Hooters restaurant and she's like, okay, guys, here's the beer you ordered. And she slaps them down. Anything else you guys need? You guys better behave yourself. And she marches away like a sergeant. That's what moms do. That's her sort of taking her sexuality out of the picture and being sort of a mommy to those guys who want their beer. They're very, some women are very shy and they're just very demurely, like they'll slink away if they're not attracted. But those women aren't Hooters waitresses. <laughs> they go get another job. So inside the nest, when mom has kids, typically moms are better at dealing with children than dads are. Typically. I mean, that's a stereotype. It's a learned skill. But there's just something about how women keep the household going that's magical. And if they don't like doing it, they don't have to do it. I and mean, again, I've met a lot of women with advanced degrees who do amazing jobs. And as soon as they get the chance, to be a stay-at-home mom, they jump at it. 
it's remarkable, even regardless of what they said. So inside the nest, everything that makes that household spin, yeah, mom can have leadership over that. But anything outside the nest, the big decisions that affect the whole family, dad is the one taking care of that. Dad's the perimeter defender. Now, see, if dad doesn't make decisions that positively affect the nest, he's failing everybody. So it's a huge responsibility. So that's kind of the nature of a relationship. And, you know, guys will finally say, my God, it sounds like you're talking about treating your wife as one of the kids. She's an adult. Doesn't she have her own ability to make decisions and think for herself? Well, of course she does. That's why when guys say to me, well, you know what? I'm going to tell this bitch we're going to go to the Italian restaurant whether she likes it or not because I'm not going to give away my power. It's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If she's got an incredible tomato allergy or something and she says, I don't think maybe we should go to the Italian restaurant because it's not really the kind of food I like, then it's perfectly okay to ask her what kind of food she likes and then you make the decision to do what she wants to do. That's different than being manhandled and ordered around. And that's something that the woman would appreciate. So, I mean, that's one, one example. In terms of being a leader, it's always a matter of listening. You know how women harp on, I want a guy who listens. Well, again, a lot of times guys misinterpret that. It's not that the woman wants you to kowtow to her or worse, obey her commands. That's not what she means. She means, look, if you don't even ever listen to what I say or know what I'm about, how are you going to know my, my wants, my desires, my dreams, my fears, how freaky I want to be in bed if you're not even listening? And then see, when the guy listens, he can understand what's going to be in that woman's best interest, even by her own estimation. That listening allows him to be a better leader. And then, again, I like to assume people who aren't broken and people who have high character, whenever I'm talking about how men and women are supposed to relate. So assuming a woman who's sane and who's not broken, you know, where she's not just mistrusting men and hating men no matter what they do. As soon as you come with leadership that's in the woman's best interest, what woman in her right mind is going to deny that or revolt against it? See, a lot of times pickup artists talk about building compliance. I've said it before elsewhere. I'll say it here. I don't want compliance. I want willingness. I want women who are willing to be with me, willing to have sex with me, want to be here. I don't need a woman who's compliant. I don't need a robot. I don't need her to obey me. That isn't even gratifying for me because I'm a decent human being. So that's another example of, of leadership. Are you making a woman willing or are you trying to coerce her? It's kind of like the idea of demanding respect versus earning respect. I would much rather earn respect than command it. I don't want to be a heavy-handed, unenlightened despot who commands people bow down before me under penalty of pain of death. That just isn't how I get down. I want to be a beloved leader. That's an, uh, something I think a lot of times guys lose focus of, especially if we allow ourselves to have that emotion sneak in where we start becoming a little bit bitter towards women after we've been rejected. It's much better in a leadership sense even, to take responsibility for your own actions, your own feelings, your own consequences, and man up and make the changes in your life to get what you want to deserve. See, I've been talking about deserving what you want for years and years and years. This is something nobody else talks about. The idea of deserving what you want is leading in a way, as a man, where you get the results you're hoping for. As a man, you have this incredible birthright you have this opportunity, everybody's handed it to you, to lead. 
It's what's desired of you, even by women. Therefore, you have so much control over your destiny. You have so much control over what happens in your life because you're looked upon as a man to be a leader. So are you leading towards disaster or are you leading towards a direction where you're going to get what you want from life? Guys, if you're not getting what you want out of life as a man, you're not leading in that direction. That's a powerful thought. I mean, it, it really, if you allow it to, frees you from feeling like a victim and saying, oh, this is something everybody else is doing to me. You know, you don't have to be like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh anymore. You can be more like Tigger. <laughs> you, know, you can say, hey, this is great. I'm going to go out and make something happen. And I think the nuance that people miss is that the leadership is expected. When you lead in a way that's good and is going to get the results you're looking for, people will help you do that. But they're not going to lead in a way where you're going to get the results you're looking for if you're not even pointing yourself in that direction. You see what I mean? Absolutely. We're really talking here about guys taking responsibilities for themselves first and what they want. Because it, it strikes me that a lot of guys that get into these kind of relationships, they end up settling for a while. And it's not a dynamic that I often see is that a guy will meet a girl that's okay for him. And then because it's early on in his own development, it's like what we were talking about earlier, it's his, his first good thing. So he really builds that up in his mind and he settles for that girl. Uh, down the line, he hasn't even had the time to develop him himself and take responsibility for himself, which direction he's going. And he hasn't really defined where he's going himself. And he kind of loses himself in that first relationship, even though she's not. And he, so he didn't even really know she was for him because he hadn't defined himself as well. If that makes sense. So this whole responsibility thing, it's like the foundation to any leadership. You have to take responsibility for your own life. And when you start doing that, you start to figure out what you want. And that's the first step. We were talking about this long-term step before. And if you haven't even done that, it becomes very difficult to take any kind of leadership because you can imagine yourself in the relationship. The girl's like, just if you're taking any decision you're making, love the way you're looking at it, which is like you're taking responsibility for the woman's life as well. In terms of, you know, your girl's life, you want her to have a, a good life and you want her to, to, to be happy and all of these things. So you're going to take a bit of responsibility there on some level, like um, you're making sure that things around you are going well. But you can't do that if you don't really know where you're going and what's making you happy either. Oh, that's so true. That's why the whole idea of long-term planning, ambition, where are we going here? That's what the woman wants to know. If you're like, uh, <laughs> then she's not going to have any real benefit to hitching herself to you because then you'll go nowhere together. One of the things, I think this is worth noting, what we're hitting on here with the whole idea of responsibility and leadership is a huge, huge reason why younger women would go after older guys. Because a lot of the times, younger men just don't get it yet. They're still kind of missing the point in that regard. I mean, hell, everybody's parents are like, why don't you become responsible and grow up? I mean, responsibility and maturity go hand in hand. So when these guys are like, all these women are going after these old guys, you know, what the hell's wrong with, you know, that's what's going on. It isn't because these guys are older. It's not because they've had more birthdays. It's because they're more responsible and they're leaders. And this makes women horny. It's not a logical decision. These women are literally getting hotter for guys who have these traits we're talking about. So it's not even like we're trying to convince women they should go out with us because we're a better choice because we're better leaders. This is what makes their panties wet. They're women. They're wired differently. What turns them on is different sexually than what turns us on. And these are the golden rules that we're talking about. Some of the first things you can take a step back there is also is like 
taking responsibility for your own happiness. A lot of guys, they don't even start there. So they don't feel happy with themselves. They don't start taking responsibility for that. And of course, they outsource it to the girl. Right? <laughs> this is what brings them a lot of them into the, the dating advice area is like, I want to learn how to get a girl so that she'll make me happy. Um, so that's really the first part of taking responsibility. If, if you're not going to be take responsibility for your own happiness, that's just not going to work because you can't make anyone else happy or make them interested in you if you haven't already got that. You can even drill down even further. The first order of business is stop waiting for women to man up and show you how attracted they are to you and waiting around for women to ask you out. Man up and meet the women you want and ask them out. That's the first order of leadership is which one of these chicks do you want? I hear guys all the time like, well, I'm online and I'm waiting around for these women to write me. Or Really? Wow. The most downloaded episode of my podcast is how to get women to approach you. I mean, guys want women to do all the heavy lifting. I hear from guys. That's, that comes from fear. No, that's just fear of rejection, I'm guessing. And guys being lazy, not wanting to expose themselves to that, that kind of risk. But it's funny because on Tinder and stuff, when you say hi to girls, they'll complain about how none of the guys start conversations with them. And, and so, yeah, that's right. And so this is going on a lot. Well, it's leadership. I mean, it's the leadership that turns women on. If you're not asking women out, if you're not initiating, if you're not holding a conversation, I got guys who are like, look, she needs to call me as much and text me as much as I text her. And some women literally will sit there and wait until you initiate the conversation desperately hoping you will. And meanwhile, the guy's like, oh, this woman isn't even interested or else she'd call me and she'd text me. Or why didn't she invite me out on a date and pay the bill? Or why didn't she approach me first? Why didn't she tell me when she's horny? Why do I always have to do all the leading? Well, because that's the order of the universe. Leading isn't a drudgery. It isn't a job. It's, it's power. It's power being handed to us that we should enjoy and use wisely. So yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. And it just, the point is it pervades everything. It's the essence of what pervades everything having to do with male-female relationship. It's all powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've covered the leadership and, and responsibility area. One other thing is when conflicts come up in relationships, I think you're going to say that it doesn't come up in your relationship. Or I wouldn't say that. crazy like that. <laughs> no, no. It's everyone off. Um, this is the nature of things. We're going to have uh, conflicts that come up, arguments. And, you know, I think a lot of people aren't sure how to navigate these in a way that's healthy for the relationship. How do you approach them? Does it come up often for you? What do you think of if arguments are coming up often in a relationship? Is that an issue or not? Well, I think of crucial importance is agreeing on the biggies in life. Things like politics, religion, how to raise children, how to spend money versus save money. If you eat a lot of meat and she's a vegan, that kind of stuff, you got to sort all that out before you decide to get into a relationship. Basic compatibility has to be there. Right. That's selection. I think that the money thing, you know, you kind of just jumped over there. It's pretty important. Like if you've got different ideas about how to handle money or different responsibilities to money, people react very differently to money. So I think that could be one of the big issues that tears a lot of partnerships apart. Most definitely. Most definitely. All under the umbrella of basic compatibility. Assuming you have all those boxes checked, you get into a relationship, you're not going to agree on everything. I think the biggest indicator is how you handle those conflicts relative to your actual feelings towards each other. And I can elaborate on that. I know that sounds a little esoteric. Emily and I adore each other. We absolutely adore each other. I don't think she's an ugly bitch. I don't think she's a stupid whore. So I've never in our nine-year history of, of me and her knowing each other ever called her such things. 
She doesn't think I'm a dick. She doesn't think I'm an asshole. She doesn't think I'm a lying, cheating bastard. So guess what? She never calls me those things. So when we have disagreements on things, like, you know, I think we should do things this way, or, or what the hell were you thinking when you did that earlier today? It embarrassed the hell out of me. Or how could you do this? How could you forget to do what I asked you when it was incredibly important? We just hash those things out and we trust each other to let the emotions vent because the emotions need to be vented. You can't just bottle things up. Sometimes in a very manipulative relationship, someone like, a, like an alcoholic and a very demure wife, for example, she'll just bottle everything up and take it because she's afraid. And the guy will just keep hammering on her and the kids and make everybody feel terrible. You know, when it's real one-sided like that, somebody's bottling something up. And that's that's really, man, when that explodes, it's like a Molotov cocktail. Emily and I definitely allow each other to vent. How could you do this? Or why did you forget that? Or Are there boundaries? You kind of set a boundary there, which is no name calling. Well, yes, that's what I'm saying. We don't ever insult each other. We don't ever hurt each other's feelings. And the trust is there. See, I trust She's chosen me for many options years ago, and we don't want to leave each other and vice versa. So the trust is there that we're not going to hurt each other, that we still adore each other, that we would do this all over again, which literally allows us to have this level of honesty that most people are deathly afraid of. Like if she comes out of the closet and, and she does not look good in those jeans, I will tell her. That guy's out there going, you got to be freaking crazy. That's rule number one. Never tell her she looks fat in the jeans. I'll tell her she looks fat in the jeans. She'll tell me what she needs to tell me. She'll come out, you know, I'll cook Indian food the night before. She'll, I'll come out, you know, in the morning and go, you know, your breath still smells like Indian food. Go back there and scrub your mouth. And I go, God, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm telling I wouldn't lie to you. I know she wouldn't lie to me. And it isn't to hurt my feelings. It's we're looking out for each other. She'll, she'll be like, that shirt looks terrible with those jeans. And, you know, I'm, I'm making it sound like my wife is a nagging bitch. It, this almost never happens. It's like, how do I look? Oh, my God, you look great. Oh, my gosh, I'm so proud to be married to a guy like you. You have so much class and style. That's the way it usually is. But see, I know she's not BSing me when she says that because I'm held accountable for the times something's got to give and vice versa. So when she comes out looking just ravishing, I'll go bite her on the neck like a vampire and meow at her and she giggles because she knows it's coming from a position of authenticity. I mean it. And that feels great. So that's how all that works. And so when conflicts happen, they're just a part of it. So I think we should go over that because that sounded, um, that's something I haven't heard put that way before in the way you were talking about authenticity and its power. You're basically explaining that because you're authentic, everything you say is more powerful. Yes. It has more emotional power to it for the woman and she's going to feel it more. Yeah. Another thing we don't do is yell and scream. We don't yeah. just get violently emotional at each other. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact we have kids. You guys do sound pretty mature. We are. You know? Now, <laughs> um, you know, in your relationship, I don't think everyone's as gifted handling relationships first off the bat. And uh, there'll be name calling and things like that. So you've set some pretty good boundaries. Uh, what other kind of boundaries do you think you naturally set as you were getting into the relationship from both your sides that set it up to be healthy? Well, we respect our sexual attraction towards each other in a way that I don't gawk at women when I'm in front of Emily. She doesn't go, oh, my God, that guy is so hot. We don't flirt openly with other people sexually when we're in public together. I'd say that's important for girlfriends, boyfriends. That's right, one of the basic rules. Unless you've got a specific polyamory. It's respect. Like you've got a deal where you've set that type of relationship and that's what you're in for. And you've spoken about it. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, yet 
we're not jealous. We're not stupidly jealous. Like we'll be watching a TV show or a movie or something. And Emily will, will elbow me in the ribs and go, Oh God, she's your type. And I'll go, Oh, you got it. <laughs> and I'll do the same thing to her. Like, Oh no, now you got to think he's hot. That's your guy right there. Yeah. Yeah. I like can He's dreamy. Yeah. We'll talk like that. But see, you know, you mentioned something very interesting and that's the idea of how you set the relationship up. Is it polyamorous or whatever? Emily and I are monogamous. Ain't nobody got time for other people in our relationship around here. But here's something that not a lot of people know about our relationship. She's free to go. And so am I. We do not enter in this relationship feeling like we own each other or we've locked each other down. I will never call her my ball and chain or anything ridiculous like that. By the way, that's a nice little aside. Probably should have mentioned that under the last segment here is that I respect her with my words and my thoughts when she's not around. Right. Like, you know, when the bitch leaves, we don't like call her a bitch. <laughs> it's not like that. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, my old lady at home, my old damn ball and chain. You know, it's like, you know, make sure she doesn't know what I just said about her. I talk about Emily in glowing terms because that's how I feel towards her. I really adore that little chick. And she doesn't do anything to make me bitter. She only does things to bring value to my life because I'm leading with that value. Ah, it goes back to leadership again. I'm adding value to her life and I get in return. I reap what I sow. So when I'm out with other people, if I know they don't want to hear how much I love my wife and it's going to make them want to poke their eyeballs out with hot skewers or something, you know, I just don't go there. But, you know, the ball and chain conversation is non-existent in my life. There is no such thing. It's an unthinkable conversation. It's not one I would even fake having to make other guys around me feel secure or whatever. Now, I hear it all the time, and I nod my head, and I laugh with them, but I'm not going to participate. So one of the things is, like I said, Emily and I don't own each other. We're both there by choice. We haven't locked each other down. We're not slaves here. It isn't like, oh, man, I wish I could go out and screw a bunch of chicks. Now, would it be great to screw some chicks? Yes. Do I see naked women on my computer screen and stop and go, wow, she's looking pretty good with the rest of every guy in the world? I'm going to be honest with you, of course. But see, I made a decision. What lifestyle do I want? Do I want to go bang a bunch of chicks? Do I want to go find a bisexual chick who will bring me more chicks? And we have kind of like a circle. Do I want a chick who I can be, you know, live the lifestyle with and we can be swingers? Or would I really just like to have this one woman I adore build a family and build, damn it, a rather conventional lifestyle? Now, conventional sounds like it rhymes with boring. But you have to understand, Emily and I knock stuff off our bucket list constantly. We travel the world. We do adventures. We fly in planes and go racing stuff and are teaching our kids to be the same way. My life got more adventurous, more amazing. I'm doing more things I've always wanted to do, having more fun since I married her. And even more so since we started making more babies. So a lot of that also is unthinkable to guys. When you marry the right woman and you have that trust and you have that relationship and you don't feel locked down, the environment of fun is there. Now, why don't Emily and I leave each other? Because we still adore each other. I mean, I was dating several women at once when I met Emily. And my criterion for getting into an exclusive relationship with that woman was every night I'm going to pick which woman I'd like to spend time with. And she was winning every night. I just didn't want women other women anymore. She won. She trumped them all. And I did that for her. So we chose each other. Nobody's chasing each other here. Nobody's begging the other one to be with them. We both chose each other. And you know what? 
we have this relationship. It's been spoken. Look, if you want some strange dick, tell me. Don't cheat on me. And vice versa. If she needs to screw another guy, if she wants another sexual experience, I mean, don't cheat on me. Tell me. We'll figure it out. And yet we don't. We stay with each other. But we have that level of honesty. And that sounds so incredibly frightening. And perhaps it might even sound wrong to some people, like you two. We are committed to each other. But we have affirmed to each other that's by choice, not because we've been compelled or we've signed a marriage agreement that forces us into anything. So I think that's very important to note. We're both here by choice, and that makes our relationship that much better. Yeah. You've got a uniquely honest relationship. I think that's something we have to fight for these days. It's important when we first set up the relationship, when we first start it. The girl has to be comfortable in being honest with you. And I think we've spoken about this before on the show. Anytime you show you're being judgmental or or judging her feelings or judging things about her, you're going to ruin that honesty. And the type of relationship you're talking about right there, you're not going to be able to have it. She's rather going to have an affair behind your back than, than be honest if you set up this environment where she feels judged and she doesn't feel safe. And it's a pretty delicate thing in my experience. I, I don't know about you. Well, it comes from an honest position of adoration and respect. If there's this disconnect that's going to throw a wrench in the respect, that's where what you're talking about is going to start rearing its ugly head in a relationship. So again, if you go all the way back, it comes down to not getting into this relationship unless you're in the relationship with the right person. Right, right. I was thinking exactly the same thing. I think for most people, it's because they chose the wrong person and it's not a good fit and they're not happy. They kind of didn't take responsibility for making the right choice. I think the overwhelming majority of couples settled, which is sad and which is probably if you wanted me to boil down my mission statement for everything we do and everything that drives me and motivates me as part of my life purpose, it's to keep people from settling and to find the right person instead. That's it. That's the most important. Well, Scott, thank you so much for this chat today. It's uh, been really good to have someone with so much experience on the show. Mr. <laughs> 48 years old. <laughs> yeah, I think that sounded like old to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm 48. I mean, I'm going to be great. like, ah. Fortunately, there's anti-aging stuff coming down the road pretty soon. You can have a beer once in a while. You can have a hamburger once in a while. But I'll tell you what, if you take care of yourself and you live a clean life and you stay positive, I think your attitude has so much to do with your health. And how you look at your age and how you feel. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. It sounds like you're in good order. Not that I can see you face to face, but you're sounding in good health, which I'm sure you are. So a couple of last questions to round off. Who besides yourself would you recommend for high quality advice in any area of dating, sex or relationships? Man, that's a great question. I get asked a lot of time what I think of other gurus. And I'm going to have to be honest with you. It's kind of my policy not to not to. Tell it like it is. The way I'm going to look at it, if they've been on my podcast or if I talk about them in my newsletters, if I'm happy to tell you about their new product or whatever, I respect what they're doing. Other than that, I'm going to say anybody who disrespects women, anybody who is more focused on the marketing aspect than the actual teaching aspect is unfortunate. And and I'm not going to clutter our world with that uh, that kind of noise. And I'm sorry how that sounds, but I try to keep things on the up and up. And I want to be honest. I, I want to talk about what works, not what sells necessarily, because those aren't always the same thing. But I've collaborated with a number of people in the past. I think what you're doing with your site and your straightforward way of talking, Angel, is exemplary. And I um, also believe in 
a very straightforward, pragmatic way of talking. So sometimes people get really into the woo-woo stuff, and I get along with those guys and everything. Um, but I, I just really what is woo-woo like spiritual or like more guruish kind of stuff. I've got to talk really profound or Eastern about this when really it's just, hey, you know, men and women need to get along and here's how you do it. I will tell you two things. And the first one probably won't surprise you. The second might surprise you. After all my years of doing this, I can tell by the way they teach which dating advisors are really good with women versus those who are faking it. And I can tell which sex advisors have small, small penises. <laughs> Please don't ask me to elaborate, but I think it, it, it's an amazing, amazing consistency through that. You can tell by how sex teachers teach about sex, if they're male sex teachers, whether they have small penises or not. I'm just out of interest. What would be the, the thing, the criteria? <laughs> <laughs> what would be the criteria? What, what are you watching for in the teaching? I'll um, give you a hint. It's how they talk to men about penis size. Aha. I think, I think everyone probably gets the idea there. So next question. Top three recommendations to help men get results as fast as possible with women in this area of their lives, basically improve it. Uh, what would be your top three recommendations for them to get started? If someone's completely new to this and they want to fix it as soon as possible, as men always do, what would be your recommendations to get that started quickly? Top three. First of all, never, ever apologize for being a man. You should be a man. You should be nothing other than a man. You don't have to be a woman with a penis. You don't have to be neuter. You don't have to tone it down. You don't have to soften yourself. Remember always, manhood at its root is virtuous. It isn't like men and women are opposite, and therefore men and women have to be the opposite. Men are bad. Women are good. That's a logical fallacy. Masculinity is virtue. Virtuous masculinity is a high calling, and it's something you should embrace. Second of all, the number one differentiator between guys who have women in their life and guys who don't, and there's not even a close second place, is boldness. I wish I had 10 bucks for every guy who's ever said, well, you know, I can't get any women to go out with me. Well, how many women have you asked out? Uh, none. And I wish I had another 10 bucks for every time I've ever gone to a party and there's this hot chick with an average guy and someone blurts out, what's a girl like you doing with a guy like that? And the girl goes, oh, well, he asked me out boldness. Are you asking women out or aren't you? Do you believe these women will go out with you or, or don't you? That is the hugest and yet the most simplistic differentiator between guys who are getting women and guys who don't. So guys, go for it. You know, what's the worst thing that can really happen? You're not bothering them. They're not going to reject you really hard and be mean to you unless you really deserve it. Okay. I've done infield coaching now for eight years. And by now, you got a grip on how I teach. I teach respect for women. I teach giving them space. I teach letting your masculinity do the heavy lifting. I have yet to ever see a hard rejection, quote unquote, ever in eight years in field, ever. And I haven't seen one since I was a seventh grader and stupid, personally. So that's the second one. Third one, choose women who like men. Yeah, if you like, like women and let them like you back, they, we're not supposed to be enemies. This isn't an adversarial thing where, you know, we're going to seduce and conquer these bitches. Women want to love you. Women want to suck your dick. Women want to sexually thrill you, and they want you to be thrilled with them. Pick a woman who's not broken. Pick a woman who's healthy and be that guy who's not broken. Be that guy who's not bitter towards her. 
there's no better chance at a great relationship when a man who loves women and a woman who loves men get together and they really appreciate each other and want the best for each other. That's a great point, man. That's a great note to finish off on. Cool. Thank you so, <laughs> thanks so much for your time. You're quite welcome. Take control of your dating life today. Take one idea or one insight from today's episode and apply it today. Don't wait, do it today. That's all it takes to change your life, step by step, episode by episode. Learn more about what I, Angel Donovan, and my team do at datingskillsreview.com. How we help men like you take control of their dating lives.